Pastor Steph uh, contacted me and said, David, I, I'd kind of like for you to speak from your new book. And I said, well, there's, I'm going to talk about freedom. She said, well, there's a lot of freedom in what you've shared about that book. So uh, we're going to talk about, um, about freedom. Let me tell you about a marked moment. That's the sermon series right now. It's marked moments. And uh, one thing, uh, the other thing that, that Mark always told me was, David, uh, you're a teacher, you're not a preacher. Uh, he would remind me uh, that my gift is in teaching. And it's true. I am not a preacher. When people say you're going to preach on Sunday, no, I'm going to teach on Sunday. So I'm trying to, trying to convey um, uh, some of the truths of that. But um, it was three and a half years ago, Pam and I were sitting right back here, third row from the back in the middle on a Sunday night. And pastor was in the middle of a message. I can't remember exactly what the special time we were doing a Sunday night service. But in the middle of what he was teaching, he came down and he said, David, I've got a word for you and Pam. You're going to write another book. And um, Pastor knew and, and Pastor Steph knew that I'd written books and, and uh, she had actually read my last book as Jesus Cared for Women Then and Now. And, um, but they didn't know that God had been kind of nudging me to write again. And so I took that word of knowledge and um, a couple of passages of Scripture from that, 2 Peter 3.8 from the message, it says, don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. God isn't late with His promise as some measure lateness. And so three and a half years ago, and He gave me that word of knowledge, and so I kind of expected out of my naivete that all of a sudden God was going to drop this word on me, and I'd start writing again because I'm a, I'm a person, when I write, I have to write now. I don't like write over a three-year period of time. Well, it didn't come. Uh, you've heard of writer's cramp. I had long-term writer's cramp. And I prayed and Pam prayed and we were trying to figure out what, what was going to happen, but Two and a half years, there was kind of silence. John 16, 13 says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Amen. Well, a year ago, Holy Spirit started to speak, and I started to write, and I invited my son, uh, one of our sons, Neil, to write with me. He's written a couple of screenplays, and he's working on a book now called Breaking with Rebellion. And uh, I wanted him to get involved in that because my dad had gotten me involved in writing. And so he joined me, and uh, the Holy Spirit started to unload a message about on-the-way living. You see... 
we are destination driven. We're accomplishment driven. We're schedule driven. That's the American way. Get it done. Work hard. And you can get into a works theology of being saved by what you do rather than what you believe. And we run our lives on schedules. We get our phone out of our pocket. We make sure that our calendar's right. That's just the nature of what we do. And sometimes that's not the nature of what God wants for us. He wants us to be involved in on-the-way living. And so I began to look at Scripture, and, and the Holy Spirit began to reveal what on-the-way living was really about, and that most of Jesus' ministry was on the way, when you really think about it. We'll talk about that a little bit today. I can only find one time when Jesus delayed on the way, and that was when Lazarus died. He waited a couple days. Uh, he didn't do it immediately, but he was always looking for opportunities that were off of the main road. They were on the side. Story after story where Jesus was detoured. When he was going to heal Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood came up and touched him. Detour. Didn't say, lady, I've got a job over here. I've got to heal somebody. No, he didn't say that. He told us the story of the Samaritan. He was on his way to the Gerasenes with the disciples and a man with a whole bunch of addictions came up and he didn't push him aside. He didn't say, no, I don't have time. So you kind of get the picture there. What I would say to you is you don't need a pulpit to teach or preach. You don't need a pulpit to teach. Nothing derogatory about the ministry and all the ministry does. You see, the church is where we get equipped so that when we go out, our actions reveal what we are equipped with. And that's what God wants for each of us. So I want to tell you, uh, as, as Pastor Steph asked me to, uh, three or four stories that are in the book on the way miracles happen, as you can see from the slide there. And uh, the first story um, I call the beach man, I must be blind. The beach man, I must be blind. Uh, Pam and I were on vacation in Florida. Uh, let, let me tell you this, all of the stories in the book are true, but the names are changed and the places are changed so that nobody can figure out it was me. Uh, but they're all true. And uh, you might catch on to one. Uh, if, you, if you do, keep it quiet. The publisher doesn't like for that to happen. Um, and that book and then my next book, Simmering Anger, Smoldering Rage, The Emotion That Is Destroying Our World, both of those will be coming out later this fall. Um, they've been accepted by the publisher. So... Pam and I were on vacation in Florida. Uh, we had uh, rented a condo that was right on the beach, and we were like Mark and Katie. We like the beach, and um, we like to vacate there. 
And so uh, the first day we had uh, scheduled to be out, gone for a week, eight days. And we went out and we, uh, we went by the stand where, you know, they rent umbrellas and chairs and stuff. And so we were going out, we took our stuff, we had our coffee and we uh, had our little uh, cooler and um, went back to the stand and told him that the guy that was there that we wanted two chairs and an umbrella and he would come and get them. And so we were getting seated there and Pam is the perceptive one in our family. So guys, let me tell you something. When your wife tells you, honey, I think, do it, okay? <laughs> there is not a perceptive bone in my body. I, I can, it's just the nature of being a physician. I'm diagnosis and treatment driven. But she's a perceptive one and she said, honey, there's something wrong with him. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I think he's crying. And I said, no, he's just got sand in his eye, the wind blowing, you know. <laughs> she said, no, I think you need to go over and talk to him. So I walked back across the beach and go up to the guy and I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interfere, but it, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's okay. Well, when you've been in recovery ministry for 25 years, that's the dead sign that you don't stop right there. Every time somebody says, I'm okay, everything's fine, don't worry about me, well, door open. And so I said, well, um, I'm here. We're here all week. Would you like to talk? And so he was hesitant but there was just something about the moment and the time. And he just started to open up to me and started to talk. And I glanced back at Pam and she's, you know, <laughs> told you so. <laughs> and this young guy um, had a horrible background. And his mother and father were both in prison both druggies, both had been imprisoned because of possession. He had been raised by his grandmother. He himself, when he was in his mid-teens, had started using, started selling. He's arrested. He goes into rehab because of his age. They didn't imprison him, but he was in rehab. And in rehab, he had kind of an awakening. And he realized that he was desperate and he needed a change in his life. And so he um, went through the steps, went through the principles, and he, he truly got into recovery and, and he stopped using drugs. He made a commitment that he wasn't going to run with the gang that he had run with before and he had run with a pretty bad group. But in recovery he met a young girl. Uh, she was a year older than he was. She already had a child out of wedlock. She, her, she couldn't raise that child because of her drug use. She was a hardcore user. Uh, she was in because of possession. Her grandmother was raising the child. And he's, he's telling me this story and he said, 
you know, I got to work. I, I got to go. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. So on a daily basis, Pam and I would take three cups of coffee out to the beach. We'd put our cups of coffee down. We'd set his cup of coffee on the stand. And eventually, at some time during the day, we would start to talk. And it became more and more evident to me that he really wanted change in his life. And he, uh, I was talking to him about uh, his mom and dad, and he said, you know, my mom said to me, I must have been blind to marry your dad. Uh, you know, he's a druggie, and he got me into drugs, and look where I am now in jail. And he said, you know, I must be blind myself. He said, I'm, I'm just so upset. He said, the girl that I've, I'm living with she stole my watch and all my money last night to support her habit, and I woke up and everything was gone. It's the third time this had happened to him. He said, I must be blind. Well, Pam had kind of wandered over, and it opened the door as soon as he said blind um, for us to begin to tell him out of John 9, 1 through 25 about the man who was born blind. And in the book, we relate scripture and Jesus' interactions to actual real-life situations, and this is one of those. So in, in John 9, uh, 1 through 25, and the scripture will be on the screen, I'm just going to summarize that for you. But you remember the man born blind, he was brought to Jesus by his parents, and the, he healed him, it was on the Sabbath, and all the church people, sorry, all the church people got upset because he had healed him on the Sabbath, the scribes and Pharisees, and um, they began to, <coughs> to question the uh, young man about who healed him. And he said, I, I don't know, I don't know, he healed me. And if you remember, the way Jesus healed him was he used divine secretions, right? The answer is yes. He used divine secretions. He took some dirt and he mixed it with saliva, divine secretions, and made a paste and put it on his eyes. And he told him to go to the pool of Siloam, right, and wash it off. What's significant about the Pool of Siloam? The Pool of Siloam in Jewish tradition is where the Jewish pilgrimage to Jerusalem begins. And he was saying, go and wash this compost off. Let your journey begin. Don't expect that it's going to be easy because there are going to be people who are going to criticize you and they're going to criticize me for what's going on here. But go and wash it off and then tell other people. Be prepared to tell other people about it. So we related that story uh, to this young man. And the first thing he said to me was, did you tell her that I said I must be blind? I said, no. She brought it up. She knew that that was a scripture you needed. And so on the... The next to last day, he was ready to receive Christ. And so we took him aside there at that little beach stand. Pam, me, this guy, beach boy. And we 
as we always do, related scripture, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, man. All of us have. And uh, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be saved right now if you make that statement. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be cleansed today. He said, I want that. I want that. I, I, I don't want to be blind anymore. And he received Jesus. We looked up and people are lying in the beach looking at us. What's going on over there? So here are all these people and we're leading this guy to Christ. You never know what impact your on the way ministry may have. So on the final day, we went out, three cups of coffee, expecting to rejoice with this guy, and he wasn't there. There was another guy at the stand. I said, where, where, where is he? Well, he had to work another place today. He said, but he did leave this little note, and on a little yellow post-it stuck into the stand were these words, I once was lost but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So we don't know what happened to that guy. We've prayed for him, but I'm convinced that his life was different from that time on. Let me tell you about another uh, story, Pastor Joseph. Pastor Joseph uh, came here to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. Once again, Names, places changed, okay? And um, it was a CR night, and we were rushing around, and John was trying to get everything, and we were trying to get the, the meal ready. We served a meal every uh, week, and um, I'm rushing around up here, and this guy comes up to me right up here and said, I, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, I'd love to talk to you, but we've got all this set up to do, and we start here in the next 15 minutes, and I was making excuses after. He said, please, please. Something about the way he said, please. I said, okay. So in those two chairs right there, we sat down. Sat down. And he began to unravel his life. He began to start to talk, and I said, Look, I, I really want to talk to you, but I need to hear your whole story. He said, if you would just pray for me, if you'll just pray for me right now that my sexual addiction will go away, then I know it'll go away. And if you'll just pray for me, and I call that pixie dust recovery. Sprinkle some pixie dust on me and it'll all go away. Doesn't work that way, right? And I said, man... We need to talk. We really need to talk. Turns out, Pastor Joseph is, a, is an associate pastor here in town, and he had, once again, places changed uh, here in town, and he was involved in music ministry, um, and he, had a, he was married, uh, didn't have any children, but he came out of a home where his father had left his mother, had another woman on the side, left his mom. 
He was sexually abused by older girls when he was a teenager. He had all of this pent-up anger toward women. And, and the way that he took out that anger was he controlled women and was unfaithful to his wife. It doesn't sound like it ought to work that way, guys, but that's the way it works often. We become angry with something that happened in the past, rejection, abandonment, abuse, neglect, and then we act on it because we're going to inflict that pain back on the same type of person that inflicted it on us. In this case, it was women. He was unfaithful. And so we began to meet weekly. We met for about four weeks, and he unraveled his story. He had been told by a pastor when he came to Christ at 18 years of age that the best way for him to show God that he was sincere about his conversion was to do things. You gotta, you gotta show, you gotta show God that you're sincere. So it was a total works theology. It was James too, right? Uh, faith without works is dead. And so he did all this stuff. He worked in his church. And long story short, I said, Joseph, look, I want to pray for you that this will go away. And God can take this away from you. But here's what you're going to have to do. Number one, you're going to have to tell your wife. His eyes got so big. And I said, the second thing you're going to have to do is step down from your ministerial post until you work through recovery, and then you can get back into ministry. He said, no, I can't do that. I said, he said, my wife will leave me and they'll kick me out of the church. And I said, yeah, that may happen. But that's what you've got to do. I said, we'll pray right now and I'll pray for you, but you've got to do that. He couldn't do it. He left. He, he could not do it. And I said, before you go, I want to tell you a story about Jesus. And it's from uh, Matthew 19. And this man came to Jesus and he was rich and he was young, probably handsome, and he was a ruler. He used to controlling people. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, this and this and this and this, obey this. And he said, I've done all of that. I'm a pastor over here at the church. I'm involved in worship ministry. And, you know, um, and Jesus said, okay, then here's what you need to do. You need to go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. But that wasn't just it then come and follow me. Because you see, this man had two root issues. And that's the point I was making to Joseph. There's some root issues in your life and you need to deal with those. Your first root issue is greed. You got a lot of stuff. You need to lay that down. But the second is you're a controller. And I need for you to come and follow me. Not control everybody else and everything going on. And what happened to the rich young ruler? He went away sad. Joseph went away sad. Well, thanks be to God, Joseph stayed in touch with me. And he moved to another state. In the book, he moves to New York. And he uh, got involved in ministry again there after going through a recovery program. He was able to tell his wife about being unfaithful. He came clean. She stayed with him. Thanks be to God that she was able to stay with him 
and they got back involved in ministry. And he reminded me of the story of the rich young ruler. He said, you know, I went away and I didn't want to have anything to do with it, but I came back. And in New York, uh, Joseph had a young lady who started coming to his church named Jenny. And uh, Jenny had a pretty sordid past herself. Uh, and he had been involved in, he and his wife Marion, in, in bringing her to Christ. And she began to uh, talk to other people. She worked in a restaurant. And so Joseph asked me if I would be willing, Pam and I would be willing to meet with Jenny sometime when we're in New York, uh, where we go off on the 1st of December. And I said, sure. And so Jenny um, was, so many of these situations, they're parent wounds. Uh, I've already mentioned those to you, but Jenny had parental wounds as well. Her father uh, had divorced her mom and left. Her mom was uh, angry all the time. Jenny had left home uh, as a teenager. She had come to New York. She'd gotten involved in the sex trade industry, was being used and abused there, uh, was using drugs as well, uh, smoked a lot of pot. And so she uh, had fortunately come to Christ by having to, by sitting in Joseph's church there in New York, a well-known church, and hearing the gospel, and she came to Christ. She gave her life to Christ. Joseph um, was able to help lead her, he and Marion, and they, um, they were able to help her to see, now that you've come to Christ, now that your life has been changed, you, you've got a responsibility. You need to be telling others. So in the restaurant, she would uh, run across people who had problems. She had a friend named Gladys who came, whose husband, whose uncle Norman was uh, diabetic and they had uh, arranged for him to get help through the church. And she had another friend, Crystal, who was like the woman with the issue of blood. And she uh, had a bleeding problem and they were able to help her to see, to reach out to Christ. And so there was... Uh, healing that was occurring as she was being used. And we, uh, the, the problem was that Jenny couldn't get over her guilt. She couldn't quite believe, even though she accepted Christ and 1 John 1, 9 had been read to her, she couldn't quite believe, I, I've done so much so bad, how could I ever be forgiven? And so Pam and I uh, arranged to meet with Jenny in a restaurant in New York. And so we're sitting over in a corner table and um, we're talking to her and Jenny's unloading all of this stuff and, and Pam's hearing it. And Pam says, uh, Jenny, I know you're having a hard time, but uh, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been forgiven. But let me tell you a story. So she went to John 8, verses 1 through 11 from the Amplified Version. Let me just read that for you. Then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came back into the temple court. He was on his way, right? And all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began teaching them. Now the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. 
They made her stand in the center of the court, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women to death. So what do you say? Jesus was the law, right? And they're asking him what to do about the law. Yeah. They said to him, test him, hoping that they would have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down, began writing on, on the ground with his finger. However, they persisted. He straightened up and said, he who was that is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote again. And Pam says, Jenny, I don't know what Jesus was, was writing. Maybe he was writing forgiven. But maybe he was writing all the sins of the Pharisees and scribes who were accusing. Maybe he was listing all of those because he said, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And they began to go away, the elder, the oldest to the youngest. Jenny, the last thing that Jesus said to this woman was, I don't condemn you either. Go from here and sin no more. Jenny, the key thing for you is to realize that Jesus has forgiven you but now he expects you to go and sin no more because you see what Jenny was doing, she was still sleeping around with guys that came in the restaurant because they weren't paying her now. She wasn't a prostitute. They weren't paying her. So maybe it's okay. And she was able to come to see at that table that no, it's not okay. Jesus said, go and sin no more. The interesting thing, once again, when you're doing on-the-way living and ministry is who's affected. Jenny and Pam were over here, and uh, I got up from the table, and the lady at the adjacent table grabbed my arm and said, are you all pastors? I said, no, ma'am, we're, we're not pastors. And she said, and she said well, my, uh, my husband who's been unfaithful to me, overheard your conversation. And with tears rolling down his cheeks, he confessed it to me. And he got up and left and said, can you forgive me? I just want to thank you for saving our marriage because I am going to forgive him. And when we were checking out, the manager of the restaurant said, I don't know what it is about you guys, but from the moment you all walked in here, the atmosphere in this restaurant changed. Yeah. He said, he said, my, my servants, my servers all noticed that there was a difference and a change. And he said, I want to thank you for that. I gave him Pastor Joseph's church uh, address and uh, he said that he would encourage the people to, to attend. But when you're, when you're on your way, then you need to take the time. Don't be so destination driven, but be aware that that outreach ministry is going to have more of an effect than just on that individual person. Okay. Let me tell you one other story. Uh, and in that uh, story, there's a young man that actually I delivered named Daryl. And I'm in the office uh, working, uh, seeing patients, 
have scheduled 30 patients. I mean, I'm, I was totally schedule driven. I'm, I'm not putting that on you. Um, I had to get through my schedule. I had to get through surgery. I had to finish the day. And in the middle of seeing patients, I get a, a call from my receptionist, uh, Dr. Hager, uh, so-and-so's on the line, and she really would like to talk to you. I said, Jackie, I can't. I'm already behind. She said, she really needs to talk to you. And so I said, okay, I'm on my way, but I'll take a moment. I went back, answered the phone. And she's frantic. She said, Daryl, who you delivered 23 years ago, um, is he's on his last leg. He's into drugs. He's um, very unhealthy right now. He's running with a gang. And he has told me that he's desperate for some type of recovery in his life. Would you be willing to meet with him? And I said, ma'am, tonight, she said. And I said, ma'am, we have a meeting tonight. We have Celebrate Recovery tonight. I, I've got to get there. And I'm, please. So I called John. And I said, John, can you run it tonight? I'm going to meet with this lady uh, or with this guy. And so she arranged for her son, Daryl, to meet me at a restaurant. And Daryl began to unpack his life, how he'd gotten into drugs, how he'd gotten in with the wrong people. He was running with a gang, and um, they, they had had a great influence on him. He was potentially going to be going to prison if uh, a charge held up. And uh, he said, I, I'm desperate. And I said, Daryl, desperate is a really good place to be. Desperate is good. Because when you're desperate, then you're willing to make some changes in your life. And so there at that table... I began to quote some scripture to Daryl and was able to lead him to Christ um, right there. Uh, let me interject this one thing. Please memorize scripture, please. Because when you're in situations like this and you don't have your Bible or maybe even you don't want to get your phone out, you need to know scripture to be able to lead people to Christ. Daryl accepted Christ. And he began to came, come to celebrate recovery. For three weeks, he came to celebrate recovery. He was doing great. I get another friend and call in my office one day from his mom. And they got me out. And she said, I, I can't believe it. He's gone. And I thought, Daryl's overdosed. He's, you know, he's relapsed. She said, no. He was on his way home and was T-boned by a drunk driver and was killed instantly. And we just can't believe it. And I began to um, try to talk to her and calm her down. Um, long story short, we, we went to the funeral and there were all these guys tattooed and, and tough guys. And they were all talking about what a what a great guy Daryl was, how they'd done drugs together and this and that together. And I took his mother and aunt aside in the funeral home and I read them the story from Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And I said, you know, Daryl was a prodigal, but you know what happened to the prodigal when he had wasted everything on sex and drugs and all these other things, wasted all he had, and he became so uh, 
upset that he said, I've got to go back home to daddy. When he came back home to daddy, he found daddy on the road, arms wide open, running to him. And I said, that's what Daryl found that night in the restaurant when we were able to pray and he received Jesus. I said, Daryl is with Jesus. And these other guys were standing around and they were, they were kind of around where we were talking and they were just laughing. And I said to his mom, these other guys are like the elder son. They don't see what Daryl found because they don't really have the love of Christ in their hearts. But two of those guys began to come to celebrate recovery out of that as a result of that. So Daryl lost his life, but he found his life uh, as a result. I didn't have time uh, to take the time to talk with him, but I took the time um, in On the Way Living. Um, pray for opportunities on the way. Learn scripture, memorize scripture. If you'll memorize one verse of scripture every two weeks, okay, you're going to have 25 verses memorized by the end of the year. And, and you'll have that readily at, at hand. Be alert. Ministry is occurring today outside of the church. It's everywhere you go. It's in the marketplace. It's in your office. It's in the grocery store. Uh, able to pray for a young lady in the meat counter at the grocery store whose husband had left her, she and her daughter and prayed for victory there and he came back. So you never know who you're going to run into who needs a touch from the gospel. The gospel is the divine plan for personal salvation and the church provides the means to achieve that. People observe your way of living. I want to finish with one story um, and hopefully you'll be able to read these when the book comes out. But uh, Pam and I do mission work in India. And uh, so we're when we go, uh, I run medical clinics. We were able to start a nursing school in India and they're graduating 75 nurses a year now so that they can go into the villages and live rather than me coming or somebody coming every three to four months and giving them enough medicine for a few days. And so one night, one night after we run a clinic, then I, uh, we, we speak and uh, we have a microphone set up and uh, village and there are people sitting on buildings and everything. Um, 92% of the population Hindu, 6% Muslim. So only 4% of the population, uh, 3 to 4% is Christian. And I was talking to them about coming to Christ and what was involved in that. And I'm in the middle of, of a message and trying to really have an impact on these guys. And my vision shifts to the right. And I totally lost it. I actually had to give the microphone to Guna Kumar, our, our mission director there, and ask him to finish. Because when I look down to the right, there is my wife sitting in the gutter with sewage running by 
and her arms around a mother and her daughter. Now they'd offered her a chair to sit while I was speaking. And she said, no, if they're sitting here, I'll sit here. She sat on the curb. She prayed with them that they would, the mother had a lot of guilt because of her mother. She had abandoned her uh, and you don't do that in India. And she was able to pray with them to receive Christ. That young lady ended up in the nursing school, came to the nursing school to impact other lives. But, but the, the point is, sometimes we feel like what we're doing is the thing, but the thing is over here. The real ministry is happening in the gutter with the sewage and the stink and everything else. Um, I spoke the next day to a group of physicians and I told them the story of the man on the road to Jericho, uh, the Good Samaritan. And I told them about my wife. Now, you got to realize I'm speaking to Hindu physicians <laughs> and that clock might be their God and that tree might be their God. So they're not used to one God, but I was explaining that and, and I said to them, I want to congratulate you. I want to tell you how proud I am of the medical needs that you're meeting uh, in, in this area. But I also want to tell you there's more than just the physical needs. And the physical needs were addressed by the Good Samaritan, but the spiritual needs were also met. You see, the priest and the Levite were on their way, but they actually crossed over to the other side of the road to avoid that situation. Read it. That's what it says. They crossed over to, to, to the other side, turned their back to it, but the Samaritan crossed from the other side to him on his way and incorporated on the way living into his daily living and took care of his needs. On the way living is, is James 2.17 living. Faith without works is dead, but our actions don't make us who we are. They reveal who we are. I ask you to uh, take time from your schedule, your calendar, your destination, your drivenness, to be aware and be alert of the situations that are occurring along the road. A detour can be a directive. God will give you opportunities if you pray and ask him to, but you must be prepared. The lives, the, the eternal destiny of other people may rest upon that. 